RugbyRenegade.com, the number one online strength and conditioning program for rugby. Are you ready to get bigger, stronger, fitter, and faster and dominate your opposition? Welcome to the Rugby Renegade Podcast, where we build machines. Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Rugby Renegade Podcast. My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Ron McKeefrey, Head of Strength and Conditioning at the University of Eastern Michigan and author of CEO Strength Coach. This is definitely one for uh, any budding S&C coaches out there. Um, Ron's book uh, is probably a bible for you career-wise now. I've, I've read it since speaking to him and there's so many nuggets of information you can take away and kind of things you wouldn't have thought of um, when you're starting on the road of, of being a strength coach. Um, but also loads of training information. Ron currently works with all different sports at uh, University of Eastern Michigan, and uh, but mainly with football. So there's loads we can take American football, loads we can take from that as as rugby players. So give it a listen, and uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Ron, thanks for coming on the Rugby Renegade podcast. It's a, it's a great pleasure to have you with us. Jamie, thanks for having me, man. Excited to excited to be here. I think why don't we start by. Um, you sort of telling us a bit about your background, how you got into strength and conditioning, uh, who you've worked with in the past, and, and your current role now. Sure, uh, it's you know long story. I'll, I'll try to to give you the Reader's Digest version. Um, got into coaching. Um, you know, I, I was a self-made athlete, much like most of all of us were, and uh, found the weight room as to be the the uh, the place where I could close the gap a little bit in terms of talent, things like that. So. Worked really hard and went to school to be a doctor and decided that that wasn't the direction for me and was searching and somebody suggested strength and conditioning and something that I, you know, I had just a, a natural passion for with myself as an athlete and made a clear, uh, made it, you know, pretty uh, clear path there to, to, to go that direction. And so I worked, um, I, you know, I, I ended up getting an internship with the Kansas City Royals and um, you know, worked a series of internships that turned into part-time assistants and assistant roles with Kansas City Royals and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, NFL, and uh, went over to NFL Europe as a head strength coach. Came back, worked uh, as a head strength coach at the University of South Florida, which was a startup program that we, we, we were able to take from pretty much nothing to, uh, you know, a number two ranking at one point and um, six bowl games and, and things like that. Uh, left there, took a job with Army Special Operations. I uh, was there briefly before I took a job with uh, University of Tennessee, a major college football SEC program, and and um, you know we didn't get it done on the field, and um, you know and and we had a great thing going in the weight room. We did get it done on the field, and so we all got let go and uh, went to the Cincinnati Bengals and then on to my current role as the director of strength and conditioning at Eastern Michigan university, uh, where I'm back playing or I'm back working, uh, for the head coach that was my head coach, uh, my senior year in college. And so, um, really cool dynamic to be able to go back and work with him in, in a different capacity and, um, and, and working to build something strong here at Eastern. Yeah, that, that must be great. Um, one of the, the big things is that relationship between head coach and, and head S&C. Um, how, how, has, how has that sort of relationship evolved? Obviously, it's different with different people, but how has it evolved over your career? Yeah, you know, the, the um, obviously the role of a strength and conditioning coach, especially over here in the States and, and at the college level, 
uh, with all the NCAA rules and and and, and limit the limits that are placed upon you in terms of uh, hours that you can be around the athletes and things like that, the, the strength coach becomes a very integral part of not just the performance enhancement aspect, but mostly the the team building and the accountability and and all the things that typically would be done uh, by the head football coach, you know, but with recruiting and, and the limitations and the rules, you know, the the head coaches aren't allowed around the team nearly as much. And so uh, through the years, through that dynamic or through the, you know, those situations, um, just naturally you become very close with the head football coach and, and our role is to carry out their vision and their mission and, and, and do our best to, to provide a, um, our athletes with the framework um, that our head coaches are, 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 you know, that are working towards. And so, um, you know, through the years, I've always been close to the head coaches. Um, it's really nice to be with uh, a guy that, you know, was a first-time head football coach, 26 years old, when I was a 21-year-old senior, you know. And so uh, we're like brothers, Um you know, I love the guy and, and, and really respect him. And, and sometimes we fight like brothers too, but, um, you know, but we have a great relationship and, and, um, you know, I've been able to, um, really, um, you know, blend, uh, uh, you know, a philosophy that's been years and years of building that stemmed from that, those first interactions with him as a player. Yeah, definitely. That sounds great. So, Talk talk a little bit more specifically about your role uh, at East Michigan. Um, are you predominantly working with a football team and then with other sports as well? Then, yeah, my I'm the director of the department, um, and so I oversee all of our sports. Uh, but the, the primary responsibility is working with American football um, and uh, and coordinating the the strength conditioning program for them. Yeah, so obviously we we're specifically. Uh, focused on rugby, uh, rugby renegade, and having said that, looking at American football, we can learn a lot from from them because they've got some phenomenal athletes, um, some really big guys who are really, you know, they've got great footwork. They're very dynamic. Um, how, how do you, how do you, how do you create such athletes? I guess what I'm trying to ask. You know, it's uh, you know what's funny is as I think that the especially the good strength coaches. Um, you know, they're looking, they're, they're looking at rugby as well, um, from the other perspective saying how, you know, same thing, how you, how you develop such great athletes and, and, um, you know, and, and it's, it's really cool to see, uh, the crossover between the two sports and a lot of, in a lot of respects. Um, I think for us, I mean, it really stems from, um, trying to create programs that are specific, you know, in terms of their position, their their you know where they're at as an as an athlete, um, and then obviously with their injury history because it is a violent game, um, creating programs that that are as specific as you can, understanding that there's a general amount of um, attributes uh, you know that are required to to be robust enough to play the game. You know, and so, you know, you want your linemen who, you know, in, you know, in major college football and in the NFL, um, you want your linemen to, you know, they're 6'5 to 6'8. To they're, they're 300, you know, they're 290 to 340 pounds. You want them to be as fast as they can possibly be, you know. And so those principles to develop speed, they don't change because, 
he's six eight, three twenty, um, as compared to that defensive back. But the the volume and, and the intensity and things they do change, and, and vice versa for your defensive backs or your wide receivers, your skill positions. You want them to be as big and as strong as they can possibly be, uh, but still maintain their speed and the attributes that that are needed to play the game. And so, um, you know, we really work. I think the challenge, obviously, is we have eight hours to, to you know, in college to work with our athletes. In the NFL, you're limited in, to, in the number of weeks that you can work with them in the offseason. And so you have to be you have to become an expert in speed and strength and power, balance, coordination, kinesthetic awareness, skill acquisition, all these attributes you have to combine and, and, and get into an eight hour um, time frame. And so uh, you really got to be efficient with what you're doing. Um, and so there's a general level of fitness, and then you try to become specific in terms of what they need individually to, to develop themselves for their position. Yeah, definitely. So tr- I'm trying to get a, a kind of an idea of your training philosophy. Um, so it's, obviously that's quite difficult. It's a broad subject. But um, if, if you're trying to improve power, how do you go about that? Are, are you Have you come from an Olympic lift and sort of favoured the Olympic lifts or are you more into jump squatting or things like that, et cetera? Yeah, I, I definitely have. I've- come from an olympic lifting background you know um you know i trained and competed in the olympic lifts early on in my career and um and so they are a major part of what we do uh if you if you ask what you know what philosophy or or things along those lines that i am i i routinely talk about how i'm a principle-based strength coach not a philosophy-based strength coach i think when you when you limit and pigeonhole yourself to a specific philosophy uh you really lose out on you know things that are, are fantastic uh, ways of going about, you know, developing speed and strength and power and, and all those things, you know. And so um, things like overload and progression and balance development, you know, are all, are all principles that, you know, whether or not you are conjugate or powerlifting or tier system or, um, you know, cube method or, or whatever, you, you know, whatever method you want to throw out there, we can we can have a conversation about overload um, specifically to develop power for us. Um, you know that starts with the Olympic lifts and uh, and 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 we we do use a conjugate uh, periodization model uh, where we're going to focus on a, a max effort movement in the day and a dynamic effort movement in the day. Um, and so our, in our dynamic effort movements, we're trying to develop power in our uh, in an upper and lower and total body uh, way. Um, but I think where again, try not to be um, cookie cutter. I mean, it, I, it would be easy, easy for me to say, okay, on you know on Monday this last, you know during this week, we we started our our lifts with our total body movement um, with a hand clean, um, you know. But if that athlete was injured, they have a, a wrist, an ankle, or something along those lines. That could have been a single leg box jump. That could have been. Uh, Vertimax that could have been, you know, TRX squat jumps. It could have been a lot of different things to develop power that way. But, but you know, we'll keep uh, each day we'll, 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 we'll train in a dynamic fashion using, um, you know, in, in Tennessee and, and Cincinnati and places like that that I, that I had a Tendo unit or an elite form or, or something along those lines. We, we would measure velocity and um, do it that way here we don't have the we don't have the resources for that so it's it's simply moving the bar as fast as you can 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and having a set percentage uh, based off of, you know, uh, you know, we kind of use Prolipin's chart and kind of an RPE type of uh, fashion as well. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right what you say about the principles and some of those kind of uh, training uh, programs, for want of a better word, that you, you described. The reason a lot of those are so successful because they, they're based on all those principles. So you're right, you don't want to kind of pigeon, sure. pigeonhole yourself into, into one thing. And, and on the other hand, you know, you could be in a different situation where one of them would work better, but it's still based on those principles. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, touched on sort of velocity-based training. I know you said you haven't got um, a tender unit or gym or anything like that um, in, in uh, East Michigan. So um, is it just simply just motivating them to lift as explosive as you can? Like a lot of our athletes won't have access to that sort of thing. So it's, I think it's really important that they, they, they understand that they need for rate of force development and things and power, they need to be moving as explosively as possible. Right. Yeah. No, we, we've, I mean, we've played around of course with the stopwatch and, and, and trying to put some, some actual, you know, times to it. But the reality is, is um, in those environments, I mean, sometimes logistic outweigh, you know, outweigh uh, physiology, you know, unfortunately. And so, um, yeah, oftentimes it does just ultimately get down to trying to motivate them to move the bar as fast as you can and, and, and being in communication with your athlete um, to monitor fatigue and, um, and then making your adjustments. But, I mean, there's so much research out there right now, um, you know, especially in velocity-based training that you, you're been at, you know, Dr. Brian Mann at Missouri and some of these, you know, um, Dan Baker and, and uh, Ashley Jones, you know, they're, they're put out such great stuff that for the most part, they're able to, uh, you know, put it into a, 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 a percentage-based approach and pretty much get it dialed in on where you should be in terms of set reps and, and intensity. Yeah, definitely. A question we kind of ask uh, all our guests on the podcast is, um, what do you think athletes or what do you think is the biggest mistake athletes make when it comes to strength and conditioning? You know, I think that I think the first mistake that a lot of athletes make is that they're closed minded and they and they have you know, they, they have a, an idea of what they think works for them. You know, um, they've had some success. And, and the reality is, especially if, you know, you're talking professional rugby or or a higher level you know, college or professional athletics and, you know, around the world, uh, what happens is, is that, you know, as a high schooler, when they had testosterone running through their ears, you know, they saw results doing anything, you know, and so they, they could have walked in a weight room and they would have got stronger because of the, the hormones and, and things along those lines. And so uh, typically they'll, they'll align themselves with a philosophy or, or an approach. And uh, sometimes they're resistant to, to change in that as they age, you know? Um, so I think being closed minded is, is the first thing. I think the, the, the second thing is, um, I think that, um, you know, I, I think people have a hard time having difficult conversations and really defining what good is. Um, you know, and so, you know, that's, it's, it's why we coach. I mean, the, the premise of why we coach is being able to lead people, to an area or to a place that they have not been before um, that they couldn't achieve on their own, you know? And, and, and so 
really understanding that there is another level to wherever they're at. I mean, you know, wherever they're at in their development, there is always another level. And, uh, and being able to uh, allow themselves to be pushed to that point, I think, is, is uh, another mistake. Yeah. And, and obviously, motivation is a big part of that. And, and the strength and conditioning coach um, obviously has a massive role in that regard. How do you sort of approach that with your athletes? I think it, it starts with, um, uh, you know, it sounds cliche, but I mean, it, you know, it's the old adage of they don't know, you know, they don't care how much you know until you know how much you care. I mean, I think you got to develop a relationship with your athletes. Uh, for us, that starts with what we call their why meeting. Um, you know, we just had two players that just started, you know, we just started our summer program two days ago. And, you know, we had two new players that came in that transferred in from other schools. And, and that's exactly what we did. We sat down, we we, you know, we asked them what their why was, you know, you know, and so asking them questions as it, you know, like, you know, um, if football was, you know, if the sport that you're playing was taken away from you, what would you do? You know? And so we had one of those players who said he would, he, he, his dream is to, to take a sailboat around the world. You know, I, I would have never known that about him. Um, would have never guessed that, you know, yeah. If we didn't have that conversation, you know, and so it gives us kind of a human element to be able to to, uh, to lean on later on down the line, you know. Um, and so finding out what they would do and being able to encourage them, I think, you know, people so much so many times in, in especially high level sport, the relationships are so, so much transactional where they come in. If they, if they come in and do right, it's a great relationship. If they come in and do wrong, it's a very negative relationship and it's what have you done for me lately? You know, and, and when you really take the time to show that you care about them, not just the four years that they're going to be there or the year that they're going to be there, um, then you can get them to buy into you on another level and uh, be able to, to uh, challenge them in a different way. And so we tell our athletes all the time, they got, you know, we got them for two hours a day. They have 22 hours to mess up everything they did, that we did. And, and if we're not, not involved in those 22 hours somehow, some way, uh, then we're fighting a losing battle every time we come to work. And, you know, we're all competitive, and I, I, I don't like fighting losing battles. Um, so we want to make sure that we're fighting a winning battle, so we need to be involved. We, we get involved, and you know, we try to find lots of ways. We challenge our staff and ourselves to uh, find lots of ways to interact with our athletes outside of the weight room. Um, one big way that we do that is we try each phase. And so, for like for example, for this summer – um, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we, every month, once a month, we'll do we, a special workout and we usually do that in our, our unload week. And, um, in that week we'll, we'll take them, you know, sometimes we take them off site. Sometimes we do fun things, you know, but we, we try to provide them with a life experience, you know? And so for example, last year we took our athletes to, um, you know, one of the Great Lakes, you know, in, in Michigan here, we have these big Great Lakes that are, I mean, they look like oceans, you know, and so a lot of people have never seen them, you know, and they, you know, a lot of these kids have never even seen an ocean before. And so, you know, to see that, that, that you know, is, is a life experience. And so we, we took them to the Great Lake and we camped on the beach and uh, we ran the sand dunes in the morning and some, some of them never ran sand dunes before, you know, and so, Again, we got a we got a player from Indianapolis, Indiana, middle of the country, who's never seen a body of water like that, never seen sand dunes, and and still to this day, you know, he's from inner city Indiana. You know, he he comes up to me almost every day and asks me when we're doing that again because he had such a great time. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you provide life experiences for athletes and you and, and you connect with them as a as a person, then when I go and 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 you and in that wide meeting we also set their goals. You know, and it's not my goals for them; it's their goals. They're telling me what they want to do. Um, I'm showing them, you know, based off what they're telling me they want to do, what what the definition of good is for that. Then I'm able to hold them accountable outside of outside of the weight room and inside the weight room to another level. And usually they'll respond because um, because of the, you've, you've taken that time to get to know them on that level. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's one of the things uh, Ashley Jones said uh, when he was a guest that um, he sits down with the players one on ones and says, "Look at you know the best <clears throat> the best rugby player in your position, and you know see what they've got and what you need to to get to that level." Uh, I think that's a definitely a good good way of going about it. Um, it's it's great to hear you say earlier that um, you know you guys look you know from the states look at rugby players and, and are quite impressed with the the athletes we have. Um, that's sure. great to hear. Um, what else do you sort of see when you when you look at rugby as a sport and and as the individual athletes as well? I think uh, the sport of rugby, especially in international strength and conditioning, I think you know there's such a, a, a great emphasis and rightfully so, placed on the sports science element of and, and allowing that to drive not just your your strength and conditioning, but also the practice schedule and and the work week, you know, and, and you know, in the, especially in the States, we're still, you know, because we're st- we still do a lot of things because that's what we've always done approach, you know, and this is what's worked in the past and not really letting the science drive the training, you know, and so... Uh, been very impressed with that. Um, been very impressed with uh, um, the amount of data and, and research that's being done um, by coaches um, it, it, and then practitioners. Uh, and so you're getting real data as opposed to in, in a laboratory type setting uh, with non-athletic populations. And so I think those two things are probably the things that I, I've respected the most. Seen from the strength and conditioning community, the rugby strength and conditioning community, and um, and things that I know myself and other strength coaches um, that have a global approach are really taking and pulling from as much as we can. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great to hear. Um, also, um, rugby in America, how's that developing? Obviously, the, the Sevens being in the Olympics this year, it's, it's been a big thing, having more funding to it. How's, how's things going? I know there's, there's a sort of pro rugby tournament that's started recently as well. How, how's it all going there? Yeah, there's, the, the the Eagles, are, you know, um, rugby team, and um, and uh, I know that there's been a, a a big tournament in Las Vegas the last couple of years. Um, uh, that has been a, a, a global tournament there. And, um, I I think it's honestly, I think it's an untapped market. I think it's I think it's um, there's tremendous upside and potential uh, for rugby in the United States. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, most of the athletes that are built like rugby players, built like football players in other parts of the world, that's what they do. They grow up to be rugby players, and that's that's their only vision, the only thing that they see themselves doing. You know, here most Americans are going to grow up wanting to be a football player first, um, and then a, 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 and then they don't even sometimes even know about rugby or know, know it's even similar. And and so, it's definitely with with the Eagles and and. Um, you know, with sevens being in the in the Olympics, and um, you know, even movies like Invictus and things like that, it's definitely becoming more well known, and and there's there's starting to be a real grassroots 
approach that's being taken at you know uh, university. I think most universities now have a club team, uh, which means that they'll they'll you know, it's kind of an unfunded by the university, but uh, but they'll they'll play a competitive schedule, um, you know. And and there's a few teams and universities that have talked about adding it as, as a sport, and so. Um, I think there's, like I said, I think there's tremendous potential. I think it's a sport that, um, you know, uh, quite frankly, we're, we're, you know, we have not, um, as a, as a country, we have not done a great job of, of participating on the global stage at, and, and I, and honestly, I think that, you know, if we, if our, especially our football players that weren't making it, um, that weren't making it, you know, to play professional football, decided to play some rugby, I think we could be fairly competitive, you know, globally. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something the the rest of the world kind of lives in fear about that, you know, if America really did take it seriously and and those players, like I said, who who didn't make it in the NFL actually apply themselves to rugby, they could be quite a dangerous team. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Moving on, um, and I've got to confess, I haven't actually got a copy of your book. It's it's one I've been meaning to get for a while. A few people have recommended it to me and and I've seen it's had great reviews from a lot of top S&Cs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about about that CEO strength coach and uh, and what's the idea behind it? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I'll, I'm happy to send you a copy as well. But uh, the book, it, it really, um, you know, when I first got into the profession, this is you know almost 20 years ago now. Uh, it, it was really important to me to you know just like all of us were competitive athletes. I, I wanted to be a success. I wanted to be one of the best. You know and. And so I really kind of sat back and researched what the best strength coaches were doing, what, you know, and, and what it meant to be a success in this profession. And, uh, and so, um, going through a, a coaching change, you know, that, that became, there, there was an opportunity for there to be some vulnerability, uh, in my, in my security as a, as a strength coach. And so, um, that year I, I was really, you know, I ended up getting retained. We had a coach that got fired. I got retained by the new coach. But in that year, I was blinded by kind of anger and, and things like that, that I was I was thinking about getting out of the profession and kind of going and starting my own performance or, or something. You know, and so I read a, a bunch of business books. Uh, one of the business books that I read was called The E-Myth Revisited. And, uh, and it, it was about, you know, it was a business book that, uh, was was really kind of showing uh, you know uh, an entrepreneur how to, to how to create a franchise type of model, um, and in that they they talked about to be a, a successful business owner, uh, you had to be three things. You had to be you had to be a technician, a great technician. You had to be a great manager, and you had to be a great entrepreneur. And it it just you know really hit me like a, a ton of bricks that you know those are the same three things that, that you have to be that those successful strength coaches had um, to be a success in this profession. You know you have to be a great technician. You have to know like I mean we're talking power. You know you need to know how to to develop and express power. You need to know how to develop and express strength. You need to know how to develop and express speed. Um, you know you have to know those. The, the, that technical information and be able to, you know, practically apply it uh, to your athletes, you know, and that's, you know, and so that's, that's the first step. And so what happens to strength coaches is we like to lift weights or we were athletes and, and it became natural to us. And, um, and so because we like to lift weights, people start to kind of gravitate to us and we, and we naturally start to teach people to lift weights. And, uh, and when we teach people to lift weights, 
then all of a sudden, all we're doing research-wise and everything that we're doing from a strength and conditioning standpoint is, is going to conferences and reading books and magazines and journals and everything about how to develop all those skill, all those, those attributes to play sport. You know, but as you know, being you know, a head strength coach and myself and, and, and others, once you become a head strength coach or you become in charge of a team, you know, the, the writing, the workouts and, and, and the coming up with the plan, that's, that's the easy part. The hard part is managing people, you know, managing time, managing resources, managing, you know, people. And so, you know, you know, in your undergraduate work or, you know, I, I don't know what your undergraduate degree was in, but, you know, most strength coaches have an exercise science related degree. We didn't take classes that were um, about management and, and, uh, you know, business and organizational skills and, and, and all these things, it, you know, and, and so we, we kind of, you know, it's kind of where the rubber meets the road is, is, is whether or not you're going to be able to stay in this profession because you know how to manage teams and, and, and the athletes and the coaches and, and all that, you know, budgets. And so, uh, you know, that was something that I see it every year. I see coaches getting opportunities because they're good technical coaches, but then when they get there, they flame out or fail because or get fired because they don't have the skill set to really stay there and work with people. And then the third part is you have to be you have to be a great entrepreneur. You have to be forward thinking. You have to constantly be sharpening the sword. I mean, that's why I'm I'm assuming that you started this podcast. That's why I started my podcast. You know, I wanted to I wanted to talk to the best in the world and 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 constantly learn from people as much as I possibly could because I, I don't ever want to be the same coach from year to year. I always want to improve. And uh and, and if you don't do that and you just stay, you know, kinda in your lane and, and, and don't really learn a lot, then you know, there's the grass is always greener. You know, your athletes are gonna look elsewhere, your coaches are gonna look elsewhere, the whole deal. And for those coaches that have been in this field for a significant amount of time, you know, it's not if, it's when you get fired. And the unfortunate part is as a community, we have not done a great job of defining how you evaluate a strength coach. But the reality is, is right now, it, it pretty much just comes down to whether or not the coaches or the players like it, you know? I mean, um, and so, you know, you, you can do a great job in the weight room, but if you don't get enough wins – um, then you're going to be on the street. Yeah. And so from an entrepreneur standpoint, you have to find, you have to create things of income and you have to be, you have to plug leaks in, in your finances and things like that and really have a good plan and, and, and be able to provide for your family if you're going to stay in this field for a significant amount of time. And so um, in writing the book, I wanted to write a book that, that, that educated those young coaches um, and coaches in general because, I mean, I, you know, I, I was a head strength coach for, you know, 12 years before I ever got fired, you know, I was living in kind of a, my own world that, you know, this, this strength and conditioning bubble where I didn't, I never thought about personal branding or, or time management or, or streams of income or, um, you know, uh, communication tools and, you know, all these types of things. Um, it, it wasn't until then that I figured out that I learned that those are major, major things that, that will keep you in the profession that you love and that you've worked so hard to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. Uh, we started the podcast, you know, to give great information to our members, but it's to it's turn out to be great for me to, you know, to speak with like-minded people and, you know, pick the brains of people like yourselves. Um, and, and also it, you're right. Anyone can, 
can get a sports science degree, but it's that that people experience of you know working as we were talking before, developing that relationship with the coaches, with the players, and and getting that extra little bit out of people. Um, so, so you're exactly right, and you know it's commendable that you've you've written a book that you know really helps people work on that because I, I don't think a lot of other people have. Um, so so well done for that. Um, Appreciate. Uh, probably last last big question. Um, where do you see, or what do you see, the kind of big changes in strength and conditioning in, in the future? Is it is it more technology, or is it sort of ju- just using technology better? Yeah, technology is obviously a, a very important um, aspect, and and I think you know I, I just asked this question the other day on one of my podcasts uh, as well because I, you know I, I don't want to, and, I, and this was my you know my disclaimer when I asked it. I, I don't want people to just simply say you know, we need to continue to improve the science and the technology and, and, and continue to grow there to where all of a sudden we're, we're RoboCops and we're, we're wearing all this, all this stuff. And, you know, uh, I, I think where I see the field going and I think that the, the thing that is, um, what the challenge to all our strength coaches is, um, is a couple things. One, I think, um, we have to create a degree seeking program in strength and conditioning i think there's a lot of different degrees out there that are getting close but most people frankenstein their learning experience they're you know they're, they're a biology major like i was or they're an exercise science major or they're a kinesiology major or biomechanics or or whatever but there's really not um a degree that's specifically in strength and conditioning and, and because of that there's not really any kind of set base on on a base level of knowledge that everybody has to have. You know, uh, I think the second thing is, is that we have to continue to find ways uh, to educate our employers on how they should evaluate us. You know, the, the challenge with strength coaches is that, you know, yeah, it's easy to say, okay, well, if they bench more, they squat more, they run faster, they jump higher, then the strength coach is good. Well, you know, we don't always, as strength coaches, we don't always want to be judged on what our athletes are, are, are doing um, from a performance standpoint. Cause they, you know, they might've gone and smoked their entire body weight and dope, or they might've gone and, and not slept the night before they, they tested, or, you know, they might've eaten like crap. You know I mean? There's a lot of external variables that, that affect how somebody performs, you know, and, and same thing with injuries, you know, would say you'd say injury prevention. Well, I mean, rugby is a violent game. And American football is a violent game. And so there's going to be injuries, you know, um, but there's no way of quantifying how many injuries we prevent, you know, by the stuff that we do, you know. And so we need to we need to continue to provide our employers with how we should evaluate strength coaches. Um, I think the third thing is that we need to continue to find uh, and explore all the different ways that strength coaches can and um, that we can develop jobs uh, in the in the profession. So if you think back, I mean, ten years ago, five years ago, really, you know, tactical strength conditioning really wasn't a thing. All of a sudden, now it's blowing up, right? I mean, you know, there's tactical strength conditioning everywhere. Um, you know, MMA strength conditioning really wasn't a thing five years ago. Now it's a it's a major um, career for a lot of people. You know, and so we need to continue to explore the different ways that we can use our skill set to develop our communities, you know, and, um, and I think one, you know, I think 
you know, two ways of doing that are a getting the degreasy compete programs, you know, where it's going to get people that are, you know, that are in the educational space constantly looking at for ways to, to, to develop that and, and develop research and, and challenge thought provoking type stuff, um, to younger generations. Um, and I think that we need to, as, as our profession, we need to really challenge our, um, our organization. So, you know, overseas the uk sca or asca or over here the nsca um we need to challenge those organizations cscca to um to really push for a strength coach in every high school you know um i would think that that would be a, a fantastic breeding ground for strength coaches um it's definitely needed from a liability and risk assessment standpoint with youthful athletes it's going to limit a lot of injuries that we see in um, at the at the the higher levels by having better education at the lower levels, um, and I think it gives a place for our aging strength coaches to go as well uh, when they're when they're not you know when when you don't necessarily want to move um, after you've been fired from a job you'd like to stay in a certain community yeah. you know and and so I think there's lots of things that we can be doing as a strength conditioning community outside of just let's 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 figure out how to use gps better or hrv or polar heart rates or whatever yeah you know that's really interesting points i think you're right about you know sort of not sending old old snc coaches to high school but you know sometimes they say you know the best coaches should be with the kids if you if you get them you know a good training you know experience for them at a young age then it's it gives them greatest potential later on in their athletic career or, or, you know, just general life as well. So I think that's a really interesting point you made. Um, so where, where can people learn more about you, Ron? Yeah, you know, Jamie, I'm, I'm, I'm all over. Um, I try my best to be um, out there. And, and this is coming from a guy that, you know, again, probably 10 years ago, if, if you would have, if you would have told me that you, you sent me a tweet, I probably would have punched you in your face, you know, <laughs> Um, I'm not, you know, I wasn't, a, you know, I really wasn't into the whole social media thing and, and all that as a strength coach, but I thought that, I, you know, I, but I've learned that that was a mistake. Um, I think those are tools that, again, if you use just like any tool in your weight room, um, if you use it properly, can be very, very powerful. And so, you know, I'm on social media. My Twitter is at R McKeefery, M-C-K-E-E-F-E-R-Y. Um, that's a good starting place. My website is ronmckeefery.com. Uh, I have a podcast that I actually have two podcasts, one that I interview strength coaches from around the world, much like you do. Um, and uh, another one that's called ask coach Mac, where I, I take questions from people and, and answer those on the, on the air as well. And, and um, you know, and, and so those would be the places to start to kind of, to, to connect with me. Yeah, that's great. And we'll, uh, we'll put links for those on, on our site as well. So uh, people, rugby renegades can can link straight through from our site um ron thank you very much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure i'm sure our members have got um you know lo loads of information they can they can apply and uh, i've learned a, a great deal myself as well so uh, thanks very much i oh, appreciate it man thanks for having me on and and for everybody listening i mean just i know from from personal experience how much it takes and goes into putting things like this on and so jamie i mean it's a it's a testament to you and uh, you know, and your willingness to give back to the community, and and I would encourage everybody that's listening just to 
take a moment and leave a review for them and, and, and send them just some encouragement. Um, because it's, uh, it takes special people to do this and, and, uh, I appreciate your efforts, man. Brilliant. Thanks, Ron. Well, there you go. Uh, another great interview. Um, we'd like to thank Ron for, for giving us his time and, and sharing all his knowledge. Um, I'm sure you can get a huge amount from that, whether you're just a rugby player or you're, you're a budding S&C coach. Um, lots of lessons there. Uh, and, and thanks you for listening. Um, again, more to come. Stay in touch with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn or SoundCloud and, uh, and give us some awesome reviews. And we'll keep these coming. Thanks and see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at rugbyrenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, building machines.